We'll take your booklets. If you have your booklet, if you don't have them, there's still some out there, please grab one or your Bible. Cause you remember I reminded you to hopefully that you'll bring both Bible and booklet as, as we study. I want you to take, um, take, your, <clears throat> take your booklet and we're gonna be in chapter one verses uh, 19 to 26 this morning. Now, if you have your booklet, I just want you to note that um, the editors have taken the, the last five words of verse 18 and used them as the introduction to verse 19. I think it's a very good editorial choice. And, and I'll tell you why. Last week, Rob took us from verse 12 to verse 18. And in that passage, um, you know, Paul is speaking about the hardships of, of life. They don't actually, they're not a problem. They're in fact, God uses them to advance the gospel. And uh, if you remember, we, we had um, uh, the Baileys shared their story about Kristen. Y'all don't wanna miss that. I mean, what a story that's true for so many of us. And uh, they shared their, their, their story on video and, and just a reminder that it's, it's those difficult things in life that in faith, God uses those to advance the gospel. And in that note, Paul says there in verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice, present tense, I rejoice. Now, watch Paul as he turns his attention from the present to the future. And he does so with those five words. Yes, and I will rejoice. Does that make sense? So I just want us to catch that, that, that we're now on a future orientation of joy. In our passage then, I say it this way, it's about future joy. And you say, well, what's future joy? Well, it means that joy is not something we, 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 we experience in our presence, but something that actually shapes how we perceive an unknown future that we can, you know, we don't know what's there, but we can say, I will, I will too with Paul rejoice whatever comes in that future. I'll tell you this, when we grasp what Paul is saying in this text, I mean it, it will radically shape how you and I live life in the present. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to ponder couple questions. How many of us can think about our, you know, just imagine your calendar. Tomorrow's Monday. Think about what you got lined up tomorrow. Not all the details, but, oh, you know, I got to do this. This is going to happen. This is going to How many of us can kind of look at that calendar and go, you know, I've got these plans tomorrow. This is what's on the calendar. But you know what? If it doesn't go as planned, in fact, if things go awry, you know, you could sit here today and go, you know what? I will rejoice. Don't raise your hand, but you know, you kind of look at it and go, I, you know, that, that may not, I will, I'll still rejoice. I think a number of us could, could probably do that. But I want you to imagine a second scenario. Imagine that your tomorrow may be the day of your death. I don't know that anybody has on their calendar die, you know, tomorrow. <laughs> but imagine that tomorrow uh, could be the day of your death. Uh, you got other plans, but just imagine it's your last day on the planet. 
I mean, if, if, if you, I gotta fix this because it's bothering me on my neck here. Hold on a second. If you, if you imagine that, could you say today, okay, I'm saying just, just go with me. Tomorrow's the last day, my last day on the planet. I will rejoice. How many of us could, could say that one? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I don't know if anybody raised their hand. I mean, I, honestly, I don't know that I could raise my hand. I'm not sure how I would respond. I, I have friends, some friends now who are facing death. And I've said, I, I, I don't know how I would respond knowing, knowing that. I, y'all, to be honest, I think I'd be devastated if I knew tomorrow I was to die rather than rejoicing. Well, from our text, and Luke read it a moment ago, Paul has no hesitation. I will rejoice. His is not hypothetical. Like, his is real life. He's been in a Roman prison, we know probably at least four years. From all indications, when he's writing this letter, he's, he's awaiting the day, which could be tomorrow. He's waiting for the verdict, and it's in Caesar's hands to say, Paul, you're innocent, you're free, go do what you do. Paul, you're guilty, you're executed. That, that's the two options he has. So, you know, it's real to him that tomorrow could be his last day. Now, we may be tempted, I think, to put Paul in, on a higher spiritual plane, kind of like, yeah, that's the apostle Paul. I mean, the guy wrote half the New Testament. Of course, he's, he's all good with death. And, you know, that's super saints can, can go there, you know. No, I, I would beg to differ, and I think Paul does. I, I'll offer you this. Paul will say, I'm just gonna stick with Philippians. He says it in many places. Philippians 3.17, he says, brothers, join in imitating me. He's not, he's not writing for super saints or the special people. All who follow Jesus, follow Jesus like I do. Think like I do. Choose like I do. Live like I do. 4.9, he says, what you have heard and what you have, have learned and received and heard in and seen in me, practice these things. Now, I'll tell you what's clear from these passages, and, and there are many others in the New Testament, um, is that Paul is writing to say, yes, this is my life and do what I do. Live like I live. See, the, see life as, as I'm showing you to see life. So I would say this, if you're a follower of Jesus, can we agree that what Paul, any, anything Paul says, we're, we're to do and we're to be like Paul. Can just nod if you agree with that. Because I, I just want us to say, because this, again, this passage is hard. It's kind of like I want to set it aside and say it's for special people. No, it's for us. His invitation for joy in this text is going to be a tough invitation. It's a good invitation. I've broken the text into three parts. Let me pull this up just so you can see this. Uh, We've got joy's hope, joy's good, and joy's glory. So it's hope, good, and glory. Verses 19 to 20, joy's hope. I'll talk about that first. And then I'm gonna take this section of 22 to 24 and talk about joy's good, joy's good. And the last is joy's glory. Um, Let's do this. 
start with the verse 19. I'm picking up that last phrase of 18. You follow along in your Bibles. I'm gonna have this up here on the screen. And I just wanna read it. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. I will rejoice. I just want us to note, I've already said this, but we are now speaking of the future forward-facing. For I know that through, well, two things here we wanna make note of, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, uh, Paul, how do you know you're gonna be able to rejoice? He says, well, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Here is probably the most important or super important word in this text. I'll come back to it. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. I want you to note two things right in verse 19. Paul's able to look to the future and he doesn't know if tomorrow is the last day on the planet or not, if, he's gonna, if it's his death. He's able to look forward and say, you know, I will rejoice. And he says, the reason is it'll be through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, just think about this for a minute. You know, we're, we, you know, we always encourage you to be praying for one another. We pray for each other. Paul is tying his, uh, his ability to see the future and hope to the Philippians praying for him. Uh, and, and in a way that I can't fully grasp, he ties their prayers for him to his experience of the power of the spirit. How about that? And so I, I say that to us, you all, to say, are we praying for one another? Because, because our, you know, Paul clearly is praying for them. I mean, it's how the whole letter starts. But then he flips it to go, and your praying for me changes me. And I, I just want us to feel the weight of praying for one another. In, in the mystery of God's providence, we know this, we are all indwelt by the Spirit to be Filled with the Spirit is to depend on the Spirit moment by moment, to surrender and trust the Spirit. Well, there's something that happens when God's people pray for each other that the person you're praying for experiences at some measure the, the power of the Spirit in their life. Our prayers for one another really, really matter. Now, the most important interpretive decision we have to make in this passage is this word, deliverance. We, we have got to get this right. What does Paul mean by deliverance? The Greek word is soteria. It's generally translated salvation, okay? For my salvation. Here's the idea of recovery, for, of preservation from, from loss or danger. Okay, so as Paul saying, okay, your, your prayers, you know, your prayers work in conjunction with the spirit that convinces me I will be delivered, i.e. I'll get out of jail. Is that what he means? Some do hold uh, that that's what he means. I, I do not, M most scholars do not. And the reason is when you take the use of the word and the context, which I'm gonna show us in a moment, um, he's talking not about a physical rescue from incarceration. I wanna suggest he's talking about his, his salvation, i.e. that day when he stands before Jesus 
that he will be vindicated. Now, let me show you, show you why. Just, and there's, there's so much to go to, but I'm just gonna hit two real, three, three things real quick. If you look at verse 28, same Greek word is used in verse 28, chapter one. Uh, Paul writes, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is clear sign to them of their destruction. That is their eternal destruction, separation from God. Their destruction but of your salvation. So to Ray, it's the same word. It's, it's their, he's speaking of eternal salvation. He uses the word 18 times in the New Testament. I think all but one, it's eternity, deliverance from the power, the penalty of sin, vindicated on that last day in Christ. Everybody with me on that? So that, that's why we would use this as, it's not getting out of jail, but his vindication before Jesus. Notice in terms of context, um, I want you to look. I'm just gonna take you to, 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 I got a couple of these. I'm just gonna take you to one of them. He says in verse 20, because I, I wanna spend a little more time on this one. He says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. By the way, the biblical, biblical hope, eager expectation, that word is a, it's a, it's three Greek words put together and it means, it means to peer out and, and, and look, expect that's coming. So he's, he's able to go, I know that's coming. He turns away from everything else. I know that's coming. Hope, biblically, you all, uh, we say this every time we come across the word, I think we do, it's not wish for. I mean, you hope the Titans win today, you know, some of you. That, that's, that's not biblical hope. You know, the, the, you know, biblical hope would be you hope Alabama wins. No, I'm teasing, because they always win. But, but it's, you know, biblical hope is tied to what is absolutely certain. There's no question. Which is why oftentimes you talk about biblical hope in the past sense, past tense. It is that, it, it's so sure in the future, I'm gonna talk about it like it's already happened. That's, that's the, what, what the way the Bible describes hope. So he says, I'm, I'm not at all gonna be ashamed. Now, now this word ashamed is, we gotta take it out of the English context, put it in the Greek context. It's not, you know, I'm unworthy. You know, that's not, what, when we think of shame or ashamed, that's where we go. And that's not the idea in, of the Greek word and, and, and within this context. It's not a sense of worthlessness at all. Uh, a biblical understanding is tied better to the English word disappointment. Now, uh, James Boyce, great Bible teacher, he says this, according to scripture, the person who is not ashamed in the, in the Bible, not ashamed, is the person whose trust has not been misplaced. You put your trust in something, it doesn't come through, you're disappointed. That it, but the person who's not ashamed has put their trust in something and it's been trustworthy. Does that make sense? You don't need to turn there. Romans 5, 5 unpacks the idea. And this is, he's Paul speaking of the, the, the hope of the gospel, okay? The certainty of the hope of the gospel. He says, and this hope, faith in Christ, will not lead to disappointment. Same word, will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Hope in Christ is never misplaced, never misplaced. Hope in anything else will prove disappointing, period. But you hope in Christ, and, and Paul's saying, I know that that day when I stand before Christ, I won't be ashamed, i.e. I won't be disappointed. I won't go, well, you aren't all you said you were. 
Your promises weren't true. No, he will not be ashamed on that day. Well, there's Joyce. Hope, let's look at Joyce good. Joyce good, I wanna hit this next uh, verse, starting in verse 21. It says, you know, you know how there, Rob said there's these coffee mug phrases in um, Philippians, these phrases we always remember. You put them on a coffee mug, you stick around. Well, here's one, isn't it? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. The English um, translation here, it smooths it out. And I only wanna show you this just because in the Greek, it's just so in, in our face in a way. It's stated more, may I say, poetically. It's stated more memorably. It's more like a billboard that just goes boom, you know, with a statement versus a sentence. So in the Greek, the Greek actually says to live that's not even there. Christ, that's not there. To die, that's not there. Gain. There you go. You want to put something on your mug. To live Christ. To die, gain. That sticks with us. He's got two options uh, in mind. You know, I, 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 can, I can live. Oh, that's Christ. But if, if I die, that's gain. Some of you might be saying, well, he can't choose death and I want you to know you're right. It's not like, you know, I, I'll choose death. No, that's in God's hands. I, he's not telling us this to say you can choose death. He's telling us this to show us that should death happen, should death happen, it is not <laughs> as bad as we make it out to be. Can I say it that way? That's what he's saying. He, in fact, I'd say it this way. You know, we think of, we think of life, life, oh, this is, this is off. This is what it's all about. And we think of death and we go, eh, we push, quite frankly, we push death as far away from life as we can. We want death to be, we want death to be way out there. We don't ever want to get to death. And what does Paul do in this? He literally takes death and he carries it over here to life. And he says, I can't, they're both so good. I can't decide which one I want what he does. If you were to get word tomorrow you die or tomorrow you live and you, and you did get to choose, would you be troubled? Would you be hard pressed between the two? Y'all, you know what I want to go? I go, are you kidding me? No, Live! <laughs> Right? I mean, I, I mean that. I just, I, don't, I couldn't do it. I want to live. I'm telling you, Paul was hard pressed. It was a real decision for him between the two. Now, when we look at the passage, I want you to, to, to note this. He's hard pressed between the two of those. And he notes it here. I want you to get this. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. That is far better. You know what this word is? In the Greek, by the way, it's the, it, it, I'm gonna translate it back into English, but in the Greek, it's actually three, it's a three word comparative. 
it's much more better. That's like, that's bad English. Good theology. It's much more better to depart and be with Christ. Y'all, what he's saying, and, and th- when he says to depart and be with Christ, he means death for the, for the Christian, death is to be in the presence of Jesus. No sin, nothing veiled, pure, unadulterated intimacy with Jesus, soul to spirit with Jesus. We just sang, oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing, Jesus, better than you. And Paul says, okay, when you die, you will be with Jesus in intimacy forever. Well, well, there's nothing better than you, but I I have other things to do. (laughs) See, that's what I do. You see what I'm saying? I'm being silly, but at the same time I go, there's nothing better than Jesus. Well then you wanna be with him in total intimacy forever? Well, yeah, but later, you know, I want this too. And I'm telling you for Paul, it was a struggle. That's convicting to me, convicting to me. Take this in the right way. Someone will misquote me on this, but it's, it's, like, it's almost like this. Paul said, you know what? There's nothing better than death for the Christian. Now, when I say that, please know, I don't want to die. <laughs> you know, I, death, is a, death is terrible. Paul's gonna say later in Philippians, you know, God spared me sorrow upon sorrow by sparing Epaphroditus. So it's not like Paul's like, let's all die, it's all good. No, 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 death is awful. It's the great enemy. But but we must at the same time hold this tension that Paul recognizes if Jesus is who he said he is and he did what he said he came to do, then there's nothing better than being with him. Is everybody with me on that? And, and the only way we are with him in that state is death. And so he's struggling. Oh, oh my goodness, if I die, I'm with, I am with Christ. It's what I was made for. But he's contrasting something, his desire but massive contrast, but to remain in the flesh. In other words, you know what? I, 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 I would love, can I say it that way? I, I will take death to be with Jesus because that's much more better. However, but to keep on living this life in this body on this planet is more necessary on your account. So, so note what Paul has done. He said, My, I have, Paul has taken his desire and submitted it to what's more necessary on your account. Do you see that? Paul has said, there's something much better. I long for it. I will say no. Why? Because of you. Because of your, it's, I desire, but you know, it's more necessary 
that, that I serve you. Wow. Y'all, I think this is nothing less than love abounding more and more. Lord, why do you say that? Because we are praying this prayer. I am, I'm still praying it every day. I said I'd do it for 30 days and I am. His prayer in chapter one, what did I say about love? Love is an act of the will for the good of another at great cost. Isn't that what Paul has just told us? He's doing. It is love abounding more and more. Joy is nothing less than the subjection of my desire for another's good. This is not codependent subjection. This is, you know, I'm, I'm gonna be careful here. This is not self, you know, you, you have no self, but it is an act of the will whereby, whereby I choose as an act of the will to forego my desire because it's more necessary for your good. Now, let me hit Joy's glory here and we will end with some application. Joy's glory, verses 25 and 26. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Very, very important concept here for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory, glory, in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let me say this just, just to wrap the, the, the text up. You remember in the prayer I said, when, you, when we're praying that our love would abound more and more and that last passage in the prayer passage ends with so that God would be glorified, it's the same thing here. Uh, chapter one, verse 12 is the beginning of this text, by the way. It's the beginning of this section where Paul says, all this happened to advance the gospel. He uses that same word, advance, same Greek word, he uses it now right here in, uh, where he uses it in verse 25 for your progress. See, so it's like, look, this advances the gospel and you know what? I'm gonna hang around so that I can advance you in your faith. There's the bookends on the whole section. For Paul, it was not enough that they had come to faith. You remember, he led them to faith, those, Lydia and, and the jailer. But that was not enough. No, he, he was committed not just to their coming to faith, but their maturing in faith. And notice that progress in faith and joy in faith, you see, those, those are inseparable. Progressing in faith and experiencing joy in faith, you can't separate those two. You, you don't experience joy. Are you progressing? Are you advancing? Are you growing in faith in Christ? If you are, that will lead to God's glory. That's where I was going earlier. It's like God's glory is the ultimate aim. Always. Jesus will be glorified as you make this choice to love in this way. Now, let me give you three observations, principles, if you will. I had so many of these, y'all. I, I didn't write them down on a slide because I, I didn't even know which ones I was gonna use. But, but I'll, I'll read these slowly. Here's three principles we can pull from the text that I'm gonna invite you to joy, okay? Let's start here. One must see death as Paul sees death to live life as Paul lived life. 
One must see death as Paul sees death to live life as Paul lived life. I already, we already, we all agreed that this letter was written and Paul tells us things so that we will do what he says and we will live like he lived. Okay, so I wanna live like Paul. Okay, well, you've gotta see death as Paul sees death. Frank Thielman, he's got an excellent commentary on Philippians, wrote this. Death is the worst possible event for those who believe that they have an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And our way of coping with it seems to be to deny its existence. Death's the worst possible event for those who believe that they have an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And our way of coping with it seems to be to deny its existence. Y'all, let me say this. I wanna live, <laughs> Paul didn't have death wish, but he has a biblical understanding of death. I actually was gonna start with a different introduction today. I had all this stuff worked up around Silicon Valley because they are working like crazy to cure death, by the way. They are, billionaires investing billions over the years. It, 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 you know, tech companies, startups, Google's got a startup called Calico. The, the whole goal of Calico is to end death, solve aging, you know what I'm saying? And, and I'm not throwing them on the bus, I'm going, yeah. We all, you know, it's like, I mean, if, we're, if we are evolutionary in our origins, then absolutely, we need to keep figuring out how to live longer but not according to the Bible. Death's our great enemy. But how about this? By the cross, Jesus flipped our great enemy over. And hear me when I say this. It, it, it's not even a friend, but God has taken death and all the sting of death and said it, put it on Christ so that now when a Christian dies, they are immediately in the presence of Christ forever, which is what we were made for. Yes, and there's coming a day when our body will be resurrected and connected back with our soul to rule and reign with God forever. One must see death as Paul sees death to live life as Paul lived life. Secondly, your trust in Christ will not ultimately be vindicated in this life, but in the life to come. See, as Paul lived his life, he didn't, he didn't look around and kind of go, man, people are really mad at me for this or people think I'm so stupid or I'm foolish for living this way or that didn't turn out the way. He, he just, he, he's not looking at his life to be vindicated. I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm not gonna look for my life to be vindicated in this life. I am looking ahead to that day when I will stand before Christ and in his presence, I'll know my trust was not misplaced. Trust me, follow Christ hard and people will think you've misplaced your trust. Paul had, did not have that concern because he eagerly looked to that day when he knew his faith would be vindicated. Y'all don't look for that vindication in this life. Things don't go great for anyone in this life, really. And, then, and, and, and a Christian is not immune from the fall. Third, the way to experience future joy in your present moment is to live for another's progress and joy in the faith. The way to experience future joy in your present moment is to live for another person's progress and joy in faith. 
How about that? It shouldn't surprise us. Paul's gonna tie our joy to our commitment to love others, to look out for their progress in faith, their progress in joy. Y'all, may I say this? It's not my responsibility as one of your pastors, nor Rob as one of your pastors, nor any of the pastoral team, nor any of the staff. It's not, it's not our responsibility, uh, you know, like, oh, it's my job to help you progress in faith. Now, now it is, but what, what I'm trying to say is, it's everyone's responsibility to help anyone in their life progress in faith and joy. You with me? I'm trying to get it off the stage and in us because that's where it is. That's the Christian life. Following Jesus with your whole heart, helping others to do the same and helping them progress in faith and joy. And, and it's not, look, the moment you trusted Christ, okay, you became a full-time missionary, literally. The moment you place your faith in Christ, we're all given this great privilege and responsibility to help others progress in faith and joy. Now, I'm gonna invite you to joy. But I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna do it a little, I want you to, you gotta work with me on this. I want you to close your eyes. Here's how we're gonna apply this. Close your eyes for a moment because I do want you to imagine something and, and let's trust the Holy Spirit who lives in us to bring this to mind. And he will, the Holy Spirit is a person, he lives in you and he will bring to mind what we are called to be and do. So close your eyes and, and I just want you to imagine if you would please, I'm going to say a statement and I want, I want, you, to, I want you to imagine the first face, person, whatever that comes into your mind. I, I trust the Spirit's gonna bring someone to your mind when I make this statement, okay? My joy is to labor for this person's progress and joy in the faith. Okay, open your eyes. Now, I didn't do this last service, but I'm gonna do it this one. I'll start, because I was working on this, you know, I'll tell you. My wife, my wife came to my mind immediately. Now, I, I, I need to do the same with my kids and others. Like, Are you with me? But my wife came to my mind. And I want you to think about that. If you're married, could you imagine living with a spouse who is committed to your progress in faith and joy? more than their own. Can you imagine? Now, let me just ask, who came to your mind? Someone tell me. Was it, what came to your, who, who, who did God put in your mind? Someone. You can say your spouse or what? what? So a kid came to your mind. Anybody else come to your mind? That person came to your mind. I, say it. Older brother. You know what I'm saying? It's like, now, It's not just that one, but I'm just telling you, if the Spirit brought that one to mind, then I'm saying pray this week and look this week for that, for that invitation that you can help them progress in their faith and joy. That's the invitation. You'll see it on the screen. 
Oops, I just did something I shouldn't have done. Labor for the progress and joy in the faith of that person and others. Labor. So this week, here's my invitation. Y'all, let's do this. Let's trust the spirit and let's labor. Remember Paul said it's fruitful labor while he's sticking around? Let's labor for the progress and joy in the faith of that person that God brought to your mind and others. But we'll start there. Let's stand together. We're reflecting on this. We've got a song we want to respond with. And may I say this, we plan services. We don't always do a song of response, but when we do, we do it because it's important to reinforce the message and it's an expression from our whole hearts of the truths we're sitting in. I could have summarized this whole message, you all, with one verse. You know, and we read the whole, but I could have said this. Look, let me give you the message in, you know, one verse. It would have been verse 20. when he says, "As as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. There you have it. Lloyd, what's the passage about today? It's about you and I choosing by the power of the Spirit in us that Christ will be honored whether the worst death, whether death comes or or we live. In all and every circumstance, Christ will be honored. Now, that Greek word honored is mega luno, mega luno. Now, just, just all you got to stick with is the mega. We all know what mega is. <laughs> Bigness, large, right? And so the Greek literal is Christ will be made large. Look, whether I live or die, Christ will be made large in my life for others to see. We'll sing this song because it reminds us this is our reason for being. And we may not sing it, make Christ large, but we can sing it in this way. Christ, be magnified. Be magnified through my life for your glory.